Take your Bibles out this evening and turn with me to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. Miss Dot, if you would help uh, Dr. Willis find that in the Bible. The book of Genesis, I'm sure he would be grateful. I want us to look this evening at Abraham, a man of faith. Abraham, a man of faith. Listen to what he writes. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Yes. Oh, did I not tell you chapter 12? I'm sorry. Chapter 12. Chapter 12. Maybe I'm the one that needs help tonight. (laughs) Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. On October 12, 1492, Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas. Tomorrow we celebrate Columbus Day. Now, folks, I realize it's, it's now disputed and, and denied that Columbus discovered America in reality There are several contenders before him that probably deserve that honor. But since 1937, Columbus Day has been observed as a national holiday. President Franklin Roosevelt, under pressure and lobbying from the Knights of Columbus group, named it a national holiday. Now, originally celebrated on October 12th in 1971, the holiday was fixed to the second Monday of the month of October. Now, no one would doubt that Columbus was a great explorer. What were his motives? Maybe money, maybe fame, maybe recognition, perhaps also at heart, He was a great explorer, and he had that pioneering spirit as well. Maybe all of these things combined. Well, tonight I want us to look at the life of Abraham. 
without a doubt, we know what Abraham's motives were for going to the new land because God had called him to it. God had called this man to a new land and God was going to do great things in and through him. God's promise was he was going to build a new nation through Abram. Now, folks, this chapter is one of the most foundational building blocks in the entire Bible, the, the, the entire Bible story of redemption. Genesis 12 is one of those foundational chapters. You see, since Noah stepped from the ark, mankind has once again spiraled downward. To the point you come to Genesis chapter 11, and what is it we find in Genesis chapter 11? You find the Tower of Babel, or Babel, and, and man is going to try to make a name for himself and to become great. And God confused them, gave them different languages. So we see that mankind, even since the flood, has spiraled downward. Well, now we come to Genesis chapter 12, and we see that it's God's purpose to redeem a portion of mankind. To do that, he established a nation, a chosen nation, based on this first pivotal character that he called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, through this nation, God would establish the law and the prophets. Together, the law and the prophets would testify to two main things. First of all, the law and the prophets would testify to the fact that man on his own cannot keep everything written in the law and the prophets. The law was intended to be a mirror to us revealing our shortcomings and our flaws that we need the grace of God. But the law and the prophets would also testify to something else, not only our inability, but to the fact that God was going to send us a Savior. So don't underestimate the events that we read about in chapter 12 of Genesis. Again, one of the foundational chapters of the entire Bible and the storyline uh, story of redemption. Folks, it's significant that we look at the life of Abraham. He's the only person I'm aware of outside of the disciples of Jesus that God ever referred to as his friend. Jesus told his disciples, I no longer simply refer to you as servants, but friends. And that's also what was said of Abraham. He's called the friend of God. Now, what is it about the life of Abraham? What is it about his character? What is it about his obedience that earned him that title, the friend of God? And that's what we'll look at tonight. Now, as we study Old Testament characters like Abraham and everything that they went through, we also need to keep in mind what God said through the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Remember how he told Paul, he said, everything that happened in the Old Testament is an example for us. 
And so, folks, even though tonight we are removed from the life of Abraham by thousands and thousands of years, I want you to understand the life of Abraham still testifies to you and me tonight. We learn some great things about his character and his obedience and his faith that needs to be a part of each one of our lives. Now let's set the table tonight for chapter 12. We know that Abram lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. Sir Leonard Woolley's excavation of the ancient Mesopotamian city of, of Ur uh, in the 1920s and the 1930s was, was turned into a great media event. During the 13 years of excavations, the great newspapers of the world followed his progress. His discovery of the royal cemetery of Ur with its large uh, cachet of gold and evidence of human sacrifice attracted travelers from all around the world. He uncovered the remains of the queen decked out in all of her gold with the bodies of her servants buried all around her. The mystery writer Agatha Christie was one such person attracted by these excavations. She married Woolley's assistant and the discovery of the royal tomb at Ur was the fodder for her book, Murder in Mesopotamia. Now later she wrote in her autobiography, Leonard Woolley saw with the eye of imagination the place was as real to him as it had been in 1500 B.C. or a few thousand years earlier. Wherever he happened to be, he could make it come alive, she wrote. While he was speaking, I felt in my mind, no doubt, whatever, that, that the house on the corner had been Abraham's house. It was his reconstruction of the past and he believed it and anyone who listened to him believed it also. Now in Ur they were idolaters. Paul said to the Romans that when people reject God's truth they worship the creation and they worship themselves. And they turn away from God's truth. And that's exactly what had happened in, in Ur. They worshipped who is referred to as Nana, the moon god. A lunar religion dominated their life from birth to the grave. Now during ten generations from Noah through his son Shem, Shem all the way down to Abram, the whole family of earth had played out its future and had nowhere to go. There was no foreseeable future other than darkness. But I want you to remember God's promise. Because God had promised to Sham back in chapter 9 that blessing would come through his line. Let's see how in the midst of darkness God calls his servant and begins in that servant a journey of faith that is still impacting lives today. First of all, I want you to notice with me tonight Abraham's call. Abraham's call. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. 
so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram received this call while he was in Ur, and the book of Acts tells us that he gathered up his family, he gathered up his belongings, and he traveled as far as Haran. Now, we're not told why they stopped there at, at Haran or Haran, however you want to say it. We're not told exactly why they stopped there instead of completing the journey, but they did. Now, it would appear that they spent 15 years there in Haran. Now, folks, that is so true to life. Often God calls us and we begin the journey of faith, but we get sidetracked, don't we? God could do so much more through us if we would stay on track. We don't really know why they stopped, but apparently they did. And, and, and how, we, how we come to this understanding is when we compare the accounts of Genesis 12 with Stephen's speech in the book of Acts. And when we put all these accounts together and try to reconcile them, it, it seems what, what happened is they're in Haran uh, when they were, they were kind of sidetracked and stopped there and they'd not gone all the way from Ur uh, into the promised land fully. This call here, God renews this call to Abraham. He says, okay, it's time to finish the journey. Get up from Haran and continue the journey and go to the land that I have sh uh, shown to you. He's been in Haran long enough. It was a call to leave behind his securities. When you slow down and really look at Abram's call, you see how shocking it would have been to anyone. Leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house and go to a land that I'm going to show you. From what we know of Ur in ancient times, it was a pretty impressive place to live. The Sumerians who ruled the land where he lived used metals. They lived in carefully planned cities. They had irrigation systems. They had an advanced system of writing and of law and of government. Ur was in that place of the world known as the Fertile Crescent. It was a port city on the Euphrates River with rich black soil that produced fruits and vegetables in abundance. It was a beautiful place. No doubt Abram had a beautiful home there. And God comes along and he says, Abram, I want you to get up from where you are and leave this place and leave your father's household and I want you to journey out and go to a land that I am going to show you. A difficult call. 
It's no different from the call of Jesus to his disciples in the New Testament. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Sounds like the challenge Abram, Abram was faced with, doesn't it? Leave all of your securities, leave all of your comforts in life, leave all of this beauty of the place that you've known all of your life. Abram, get up and go. God was calling Abram to a life of separation. A life of separation. And he calls us to a life of separation from the world. Folks, it is a reminder to us that this world is not our home. We are pilgrims and we are sojourners. And we are to make sure that we are not holding on to anything so tightly that we would not be willing to obey God. It was also a call that had to be carried out in faith because apparently Abram was not even sure of where all he was to go. He was simply told, go to a land that I will show you. All Abram had at this point was what John Calvin called the verbum nudum. I love that phrase because you know what verbum uh, uh, Verbum nudum means it, it means the naked word of God. That's a that's a picturesque expression, isn't it? That Calvin used of the word of God. All that Abram had to go on at this point was the naked word of God, because he didn't see yet where God was leading him. He didn't even know yet fully where God was leading him. And again, it's not true of us. So oftentimes when God calls somebody to do something, what, what is it that we want? We want to see the whole journey outlined for us, don't we? Well, God, what can I expect at this intersection in my life? How about that intersection? How about this fork in the road? How about this turn? God, show me, and then I'll make up my mind if I'm going to obey or not. We want the whole journey laid out in advance for us before we make up our minds. And the journey of faith doesn't work that way. You don't see God doing the saints in the Bible that way. He doesn't give them the entire road map of their lives. He calls them to obey His Word that day, and then as they step out in faith and obey Him, guess what? He gives them guidance in the next point. A lot of people are wanting God to map out their life for them, and they're not even being obedient to God in what God's called them to do today. It was a call that involved promise. When God calls us to do something, it may involve sacrifice, probably will involve sacrifice, but it also involves blessing. 
All of the saints in the Bible who answered God's call not only were called to a particular service, but their own lives became enriched as well. What we see here is a sevenfold blessing upon Abraham signifying completion. Sevenfold blessing. God is saying that he is the one who will bring it to pass. All through this chapter, God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. God is going to do this in Abram. God is the one who's going to be at work in his life leading him. Now, I want you to notice that these promises were all unfulfilled as of yet. He didn't have possession of a single one of them. So often we want everything today, but Abram and Sarai were childless when God spoke to Abram. They, they were like couples that we have in our church here who try for years to have children but can't have any. Now imagine them. Abram's 75 years old and still is without a child. And yet God said to him, I will make of you a great nation. God's promises to the faithful are sometimes staggering. Folks, we need to remember what Paul said to the Ephesians. He said that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. God is able to deliver on what he promises. But the promises to Abram came after he responded to the call. Again, the point I'm trying to make is people tend to say, God, do all of this in me first. Let me see you do it. And then I'll make up my mind if I'm going to obey you or not. But God says, no, you obey my word and you step out in faith. And then you'll see my promises and you'll see what I'm able to do. God promised to make a nation out of Abram. And indeed he did. Abram became the father of the Jewish people. After the exodus, God led his people into the promised land, gave them the land and made a nation out of them. And also we see that God promised Abram a great name. And he, indeed God gave him a great name. We're still talking about Abraham today. And the Jews look back to him as their hero, the, the father of their nation. Think of what's going on here. At the Tower of Babel, man was trying to make a great name for himself and God confused him and brought it to naught. Here is God taking a man and God makes that man's name great. God does it. He says, Abram, follow me and I'll make your name great. And then he went on to say, He who curses you, I will curse. And him who blesses you, I will bless. All through history, in one way or another, we've seen how God deals with the Jew. And how God has dealt with those who have fought against the Jew. The New Testament points out that the Jew has rejected God's plan of salvation, but God is not done with the Jew yet. Paul uses that analogy we talked about Wednesday night in here. 
uh, in Romans 9 through 11. In Romans 11, he uses that analogy of the olive tree that God broke off the natural branches, speaking of the Jew, and he grafted you and me in, the Gentile. And, and Paul says to the Gentiles, but don't be proud. Because the same God who broke off the natural branches and grafted you the unnatural branch in, you're the wild olive branch. If God was able to graft the wild olive branch in, don't you think God is able to gather up those, those natural branches and graft them in again? That's a small thing for God to do. He said, through the Jews' rejection of Jesus, the gospel has gone out to the Gentile, and we're in the times of the Gentile now, but at the end of the times of the Gentiles, God is going to do something to stir the Jew to jealousy, and so a complete number of Israel is going to be saved. Now, they're not going to be saved any other way than through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. But God is yet going to do something among the Jews to stir them to jealousy and bring an ingathering of the Jewish people to Jesus Christ. They're going to recognize Jesus Christ is indeed their Messiah. And again, Romans 11, Paul, Paul talks about all this. Regardless of what we see going on in the Middle East, we need to understand that God's not done with the Jew yet. Even now, there are Jews around the world coming to faith in Jesus Christ. He says, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. It's an even stronger warning in the Hebrew than our English translations capture. God says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who even curse disdain you you may recall how Balak wanted Balaam to curse the Hebrews he, he wouldn't go so far as to curse them but he did agree to disdain them God says I will curse even those who disdain you and he goes on in you all the families of the earth will be blessed well how can that be because through Abraham we get the Jewish nation. And then Paul says of them that through them we have the law, the covenants, and finally what? The Messiah. What great promises. Now folks, do you realize Abram didn't see all those promises come to pass in his lifetime? And yet God brought them to pass. And that says to you and me, even when we don't see God's blessing on our obedience, never underestimate what God is able to do. You may never ever see what God does through your children. You may question if He's working in them now, but your faithfulness to God may so impact them one day, and then their children, there's no limit to what God might do in and through them. So again, God fulfilled all this to Abraham, even though Abraham didn't see it in his lifetime. 
it was also a call that involved service. He said, you will be a blessing. And that tells me that what Abram was to do wasn't simply for him. God was going to save him. God was going to build a nation through him. And, and there would be many descendants. But through those descendants, they would reach many others. And so we see in Scripture that election is for service. Election is for service. God doesn't just save you and me so we'll sit back and be saved and satisfied. God saves us so that we'll have an impact on others. And that's what he was going to do through Abraham. And so we see Abraham's call. The next thing I want you to see is Abraham's obedience. Pick up reading with me in verse 4. And so Abram went out as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem to the oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abraham's obedience. Abraham's obedience came at midlife. Notice how old he was. You ever notice the age of some of the people in the Old Testament God used? At 80, God called Moses to go back and deliver his people. At, at midlife or even advanced midlife in the Word of God, oftentimes that's, that's when God's call on somebody to do something great started. So often today, what do we want to do sometimes? Oh, I'm too old to get started at that. If I was just, if I was 18 again or 20 again or 25 or 30 again, I might do that. But, but now somebody in here tonight might be saying, I'm, I'm 60 years old. It's too late for me. No, it's not. No, it's not. God will use your wisdom. God will use your experiences. I want you to notice also his obedience involved great adjustment. You can't follow God without adjustments. Folks, again, read all the, the saints in the Bible, Old and New Testament. When God called them, they had to make radical adjustments in their life. The Bible says in the Gospels that Jesus was walking along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee and saw James and John, also Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and they were all in the boat, James and John with their dad, and they were fishing, and Jesus said, Come and follow me, and I will make you to be fishers of men. And the Bible says they... James and John forsook their father's nets and they followed Jesus. Adjustments in life. 
Folks, here is where the church today has really got to learn a lesson because we look at the modern day church today and everybody wants to serve Jesus Christ on their own terms. I'll do that if it doesn't cost me anything. If I can still do in my life what I want to do with my life. If I can still be comfortable, if I can do this or that, then I'll do it. But you let somebody get in a situation where there's a little bit of discomfort in their Christian life. And guess what? They say, whoa, I'm, I'm not going to do that. We need to learn that the call to follow Christ is a call to make major adjustments in our lives. Abraham had to make major adjustments in his life. The writer of Hebrews says that, that Abram lived in tents and he passed through the land as a pilgrim. Again, imagine everything he had back in Ur of the Chaldeans and, and what historians and archaeologists tell us about Ur and how good life was in Ur of the Chaldeans. He had to leave all of that and he had to pass through the land as a sojourner, a pilgrim living in tents. But the book of Hebrews says he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Adjustments. Are you willing to adjust your life to God, whatever He calls you to do? Maybe there's somebody in here tonight that you, you've been approached by the nominating committee to be a Sunday school teacher and you're not sure you're willing to make those adjustments. Or you've been called to serve on this committee or that committee or go on this mission trip or that. And you're, you're just not sure you're going to make those adjustments. Are you willing to adjust your life to whatever God is calling you to do? Notice also his obedience impacted others. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Notice Abram took some people with him. Now, I want you to see something here that, that you might other, otherwise overlook. Notice verse 5. Now, let me explain what's going on when it says that he took the people of Haran who he had acquired with him. Your translation may refer to them as being slaves. That's not what's going on here. What the Hebrew suggests, and rabbinic tradition picked up on this, is that Abraham, or Abram still at this point, began sharing his story in Haran. He began talking in Haran about God's call on his life and why he had left Ur. And people began listening. And people began responding. That's the souls that Abram took with him. They wanted to go with him. Now that's influence, isn't it? Notice finally tonight that his obedience included worship. Verse 7 and 8. 
Abram got to the new land, and what's, what's the first thing that he did? He built an altar there, and he worshipped the God who had called him. Folks, isn't that great? When we step out in faith and do what God's called us to do, what's natural to do after we've been involved in the process for a little while? What can, what can be so natural to happen? Sometimes the fires of our devotion dim down a little bit, don't they? We can lose some of that passion. We can lose some of that love for God that, that we felt when initially we stepped out in faith. And it appears that Abram didn't allow that to happen. As soon as he got in the land where God had called him to be, one of the first things he did was he built there an altar and he worshipped God. No wonder Jesus told us what he did in John chapter 15 when he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can do nothing apart from me. Abide in me and let me abide in you. And about ten times in 11 verses, Jesus said, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. And it's a reminder to us that while we're obeying what God has told us to do in our lives to serve Him, we've got to keep Him first. We never get beyond the need to abide in Him and worship Him. Some lessons I want to give you tonight. Lesson number one, in the midst of darkness, God calls men and women to follow Him. In the midst of darkness, God calls men and women to follow Him. He calls us to a life of separation. A life of separation. Folks, you and I need to keep in mind that we, we also are strangers and pilgrims in this world. We've got to be different than the world. We have to be different from the world. Understand if you're a Christian, you are called. Paul said to Timothy that uh, God has, has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. How are you doing with your call? Are you following Him? Are you being obedient today, doing today what you know God has led you to do? That step of obedience today. Because again, so many people are wanting the full outline of their life and they're not even willing to do today what God's asking them to do. Are you doing today what God is calling you to do? Are you living a life of compromise or are you living a life of separation? Hopefully a life of separation from the world. A second lesson, God does a work in us that He might do a work through us. God does a work in us that He might do a work through us. You're not left out of the blessing, but the blessing is not to stop with you. God does His work in us that we might be a testimony to others. 
In the Sermon on the Mount a couple of weeks ago, we covered that passage of Scripture where Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you, you, and you alone are the salt of the earth, and you and you alone are the light of the world. Here were disciples of Jesus, those, those early disciples, privileged to be his disciples, but he reminded them that by them following him, they were to impact others. God does a work in us that he might do a work through us. Third lesson, to be greatly used of God, it is critical to stay in close communion with God. Your relationship to Christ has to be constantly fed and nourished. Maybe somebody in here tonight needs to restore their first love. Like Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. You've taken a, a great fall. You don't love me the way you did at first. And then finally, perhaps tonight, there's somebody in here tonight that needs to, needs to follow Christ for the first time in your life. You've, you've, been a, you've been around church, you've been around Christians, but maybe you're not one. It's always possible anytime we gather to worship that there is somebody in our midst who's not a believer. And the first journey that the Lord is calling on you to make is that journey to come after Christ, to respond to Him. Because that's where the journey of faith begins. And so somebody might need to come in here, come, come forward tonight and say, Pastor, you know what? I need to begin the journey. I need to come to Christ. The life of Abram. Important figure in the Old Testament that has great impact on the New Testament. Again, we're separated from him by thousands of years, and yet he's still a testimony to us today. God's call on his life and how he responded in obedience. But you know, today, Abram's in that cloud of witnesses. My stand's falling apart on me, I guess. Abram's in that cloud of witnesses. And you and I are the ones in the race now. You and I need to run our race looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Will you hear God's call? Will you make adjustments Will you step out in faith even though you don't know the next chapter in its completion? Will you hold on to this world loosely and say, God, I'm yours, no strings attached. Whatever you want of me, I surrender all. Now that's following in the footsteps of Abraham. And allowing his life to be the true testimony the way Paul said to the Corinthians, the Old Testament saints would be a testimony.
Would you stand, please? And as you do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do indeed thank you for the life of this man that we read about in Genesis chapter 12. Such a foundational chapter in the Scripture. Such a foundational character. And God, as we read his story, we know that if we were to go on and read through Genesis, he didn't always make the best decisions. But Lord, he always came back to you and he continued on in obedience. His life is a great testimony to us today. That we need to answer your call upon our lives. Lord, you can do more through us than we can even imagine. Lord, I pray for that one in here this evening who might be in some way fighting or resisting your call on their lives. Maybe they know of areas of their life where there is ongoing disobedience. Lord, I pray that the message tonight would be an encouragement to them that they need to repent of that and they need to step out in faith. Lord, perhaps others are in here tonight who have answered that call and stepped out in faith and obeyed you, but since that time, their devotion to you has waned. And to hear of Abraham getting in the land, and one of the first things he did was build an altar to you and worship you, that's a testimony to them that their relationship with you needs to be restored, needs to be renewed. God, this week I pray that they would do that. Lord, as we serve you in this world, help us to be a blessing to others. As you bless us and use us, help us always to keep in mind that there are people around us that we are supposed to impact for the gospel. Lord, I think of what Paul said to the Thessalonians that one day before the throne of God, the Thessalonians that he had reached for Christ, they were going to be the basis of his rejoicing before God. I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that when you call us home to heaven one day, there will be many others there because of our faithfulness to you. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.